H.E. News, episode number seven. This week on Health Empowerment News, diabetes, a Canadian epidemic. The disease, the complications, the alternative therapies, and a nutritional protocol. Welcome back to Health Empowerment News with Croft Woodruff. We're here in Vancouver in the studio. How are you doing, Croft? Very well, thank you, Andrew. And today we're going to talk about diabetes. It was in the news last week, the front page news of the Vancouver Sun, saying one in five Canadians are suffering from either diabetes or pre-diabetes. And with the uh, Aboriginal people, our Native people, it's even worse. Apparently three to five times the national average. Exactly. So we're going to talk about diabetes, some of the complications of diabetes, some of the alternative therapies that help, and also about a group of people who are doing a documentary reversing diabetes naturally using a raw food diet. What do you think of that, Cross? Well, the best thing that a uh, type 2 adult-onset diabetic can do for themselves is to uh, go on a whole food diet, which certainly would incorporate a certain amount of raw food, such as so-called salad greens. And the fact is that the leafy green vegetables are loaded with nutrients that we need and fiber, which we also need for a healthy digestive tract. So it stands to reason that a raw food diet or a, a whole food diet, which incorporates a lot of raw food, could make a significant difference and get the person off of insulin if that's what they are on. And of course, the insulin can be a dead end anyways because the, the body, uh, the cells can develop a resistance to it. And so you're no further ahead than you were before you got onto the insulin as a method of dealing with the blood sugar problem. Well, the statistics are kind of scary if we're looking at both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Diabetes currently affects 246 million people worldwide and is expected to affect 380 million people by 2025. And consider the world's population of something like 6 billion, and we're only looking at about 300, 350 million people. That's got to tell you something that there's something very wrong here. If we go into uh, areas where people are on their traditional diets, and their diets are very simple, and they are whole food, you don't see this. You only see it in the wealthy centers of the world, where people have virtually unlimited access to processed food, foods that are laden with sugar, and certain sugars like high uh, fructose corn sugar, really bad stuff. And they are definitely overwhelming the, the body's ability to, uh, to deal with it. And for you to metabolize sugar, there are certain nutrients that you need. It uses up B vitamins. It uses up minerals. And, of course, it can exhaust the pancreas as far as the pr- production of uh, insulin cells. In fact, I think that overuse of sugar is, is a contributing factor to pancreatic cancer. Now, uh, getting back to, uh, we'll talk about juvenile onset diabetes When uh, they first introduced the hepatitis B vaccine, and this was, of course, to deal with 
hepatitis B as a sexually transmitted disease, and they decided that they would go after uh, newborn infants and and, uh, young children who, of course, are not sexually active and are not at risk, but they would target them anyways, school children and so on. And in in the early 1990s, the New Zealand government bought into this business of Hep B vaccination for school children, and they were targeting grade 6 girls. And then they had uh, this doctor um, from the United States. Okay, this doctor, J. Bart Klassen, C-L-A-S-S-E-N, uh, of, he's in, in the Washington, D.C. of the United States. He is a medical doctor, and he was with uh, the United States Centers for Disease Control at one time. And he was called in by the... New Zealand government to assess the success, or if you will, failure of their hepatitis B vaccination program that took place in the early 1990s. Well, in 1994, it'd be May of that year, in the journal of the uh, would be the New Zealand Medical Journal, he reported that the result of this vaccination campaign among these grade six schoolgirls was that they had about a 60% increase in insulin-dependent diabetes. So what was ever in this hepatitis B vaccine was triggering an autoimmune attack on the insulin-producing cells of these children. Well, I guess that's what vaccines are supposed to do, but they're supposed to be targeted just on the, uh, the virus. Uh, on, a, on a virus that's causing a problem and, and not something that is fundamental to your, your normal health and well-being. Classen is very, uh, in fact, the title of his organization is Classen Immunotherapies, and he contends that the vaccines are being used in all the wrong ways. And, and of course, uh, he has some, I guess, some patents on, on that sort of thing. But he uh, is very much concerned about vaccine technology as the way it's being used uh, and misused and promoted uh, these days. But this is definitely a problem. And it's not just the hepatitis B vaccine that can be a problem for a juvenile in terms of triggering uh, insulin-dependent juvenile-onset diabetes. This is definitely one way that this can happen. But another way, of, apparently, is an allergy to cow's milk protein, that the child develops an allergy to cow's milk protein, and they recognize that, so they get the child off of dairy products, particularly cow's milk products, and, but the immune system goes on to attack the insulin-producing cells, and they become insulin-dependent diabetic. Interesting. One of the main differences between type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes is that type 1 can strike you suddenly, whereas type 2 is a slow progression, and you may not even notice or know that's, that you have it. That's right. But the type uh, 2 is when your cells are not reacting to the insulin. And so you need more and more and more. Insulin resistance. And out of it getting less and less. Whereas the type 1 diabetic is that the the insulin-producing cells have been destroyed, uh, either through the allergy response triggered by the cow's milk or the adverse reaction to a vaccine. In Canada, type 1 diabetes is the leading cause of kidney failure, adult blindness, stroke, heart disease, nerve damage, and amputations. Mm -hmm. Some of the same 
symptoms or Could complications occur, to, occur in type 2 diabetes Type as 1 well. diabetics, yes. It's, what happens to type 2 all it can and does happen to type 1 diabetics unless they really manage it well. And uh, a type 1 diabetic, I think, can do very well if they are on a whole food diet and to thereby reducing the, the need for, for insulin. But there, there it also lies a big problem is, is that uh, the pharmaceutical industry, they have patented... A, a synthetic insulin uh, based on uh, on soy protein and uh, human uh, insulin producing cells it's a nice piece of uh, genetic engineering this type of insulin is called humalog as opposed to uh, insulin derived from uh, pork pancreas or or even cattle pancreas but the unfortunate part of it is that there are many people that cannot tolerate this humalog insulin, and there can be some very, uh, very serious consequences, not the least of which are fatal. Now, unfortunately, we have the companies that's in the business of, or that were in the business of supply, supplying animal-based insulin, they've gone out of business. Uh, there's one company, I think, out of the United Kingdom that still is producing insulin from pork pancreas, which humans can tolerate. And there's a reason for that. It's because of the close tissue typing between humans and swine. And the result is, is that we can use uh, pig valves to transplant into human hearts that have the damaged valves. And it's well tolerated. And of course, the same applies to uh, poor kind-based insulin. But what's happened is these companies are uh, producing less uh, or gone out of business in some cases. And, of course, the price is jacked up. And, and of course, the uh, manufacturer of the Humalog is moving heaven and earth to deny that there's any problem with their product. And at the same time, they're jacking up the price. So uh, the insulin-dependent diabetics are uh, literally, uh, literally up the proverbial creek in a canoe without a paddle. Do you remember the Men's Health article? I believe it was December 2006, called The Cure for Diabetes. It followed... Dr. Bernstein's, no relation to doctor who does the, the low-carb diet in Canada, but his name's Dr. Richard Bernstein, and he was an, he was an engineer. He suffered from juvenile onset diabetes. He had to take insulin his whole life, mm-hmm. and because he was an engineer, he had the mentality of problem, solution, mm-hmm. and so he started studying his own diet and kept meticulous records, found the foods that triggered the need for more insulin. Mm-hmm. And he took all, the, all this research to the medical community and they just, you know, basically Wouldn't said, listen. Because back then it was an absurd idea that diet could affect diabetes. Now it, you know... Well, there is absolutely no connection between diet and disease if you listen to uh, the physicians of 40 and 50 years ago. And, uh, and uh, certainly a significant number of them today are, are spout the same mantra. Uh, you know, person goes in a doctor's office, well, uh, should I change my diet? Oh, no, well, you know, just keep on keep doing on what standard, you're doing. You know? uh, keep yeah. on the standard American diet. Yeah, not, not even connecting the fact that maybe part of that patient's problem is, is because of what they are eating or not eating. Well, what, what he did, believe it or not, after this, because he didn't get any respect from the medical community for all his work, is he went to med school and got a medical degree and started to get some of this stuff published. And uh, his theory was that you have to calculate 
after you take a meal, based on the carbohydrates that are in the meal, you have to calculate how much insulin to inject. Mm -hmm. And and it seems so simple now. Mm -hmm. But his theory was that if you take less carbohydrates, there's a less margin of error. Mm -hmm. If you you eat a plate of pasta and you calculate wrong, and you take too much insulin, Mm -hmm. well, you can go into a coma. Yeah. And if you take too too little... You can also... You're in trouble as well. So he calculated all the foods and he created a, a science behind this and, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until years later that he started to get any kind of respect for what he was doing but in the men's health article the american diabetes association the representative on their blog site you can go to the menshealth.com mm-hmm. and check it out they attacked this this journalist his name is michael lewis uh, they completely attacked him and his response just it was it was hilarious I should go and see that. Because yeah. uh, basically... Can you send me the URL? <clears throat> I certainly will. I'll put it on the show notes so that anybody listening can also see it. But basically, they've, they've got quotes from the American Diabetes Association that says sugar has absolutely nothing to do with diabetes. I know. And of course, uh, when you find out who is financing the American Dietetics Association, uh, you realize that one of their biggest contributors is well, the, their the founding, sugar industry. Their founding sponsor was E. Lilly. Yeah, Lily, yes, the uh, manufacturers of insulin, yeah. And so it's, you know, yeah. and that's another thing we could do a whole show on. Who are these medical associations? Yeah, uh, these, uh, these so-called professional organizations. Really what they are is, is, a, is a trade association. Well, they're front for industry in many, many cases. You know, and there's a n- very little of well, any real Well, you know, really research. it's basically, you know, the American Auto Parts Association or the Canadian Auto Parts Association is an association of auto parts manufacturers. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no, they're not, they don't have a secret agenda. They're, they're there to represent the manufacturers of auto parts, not That's the right. consumers of automobiles. They're there to, to, to represent the manufacturers of auto parts. Yeah. The American Diabetes Association, Canadian Diabetes Association, all these associations really are trade associations. Yeah, in, or professional organizations, but... Supporting uh, the, in the, the, the companies in the industry, and the yeah. industry is... In well, many support cases, the industries that create diabetes, uh, you know, uh, support the industry that produces the, the drugs to deal with diabetes. Exactly, and that was another thing in in Michael Lewis's article and in the subsequent discussion on the blog. Why is the American Diabetes Association giving their little logo to Schweppes, mm-hmm. who produce sugar beverages? And Schweppes is giving them a nice little uh, chunk sum of, of change. money. Uh, yeah, chump change. Chunk of chunk of change. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I mean that's it exactly. And uh, and of course uh, the Dietetic Association, they're they're really riding. Uh, you know, it's like they're riding two motorcycles, and in the end, they really don't know which way they're going to end up. You can't ride two motorcycles, and the second motorcycle that they're riding, besides the first one, which has to do with the sugar industry, is the one that has to do with aspartame and the sugar substitutes, and they endorse all that, too. You know, sugar's got nothing to do with diabetes, but keep using it, and, and, but if you want to get off sugar, then try aspartame, or, uh, as I say, some of these other uh, sugar substitutes. And they have their own set of problems, and aspartame, m- most of all, is... Absolutely deadly. We have we hear about airline pilots blacking out while they're flying, drinking a you know a cola or some other beverage that's sweetened with aspartame. That's part of the problem. Connection between industry and 
these so-called organizations yeah. that are that are the so-called professionals. It boils down to one thing: the whole system is corrupt. Uh, it is dysfunctional. That this sort of thing can go on. Where is the morality? Where are the ethics? You and know, it's, it's just not there. And there's, there's nothing wrong with with an industry having a trade association. Where I see the problem is that the general public doesn't know that these organizations aren't representing the patient. Nor the, inter- when, nor the interest of the public. And they're, they're also taking donations from the public. Yeah. Uh, well, it's all, part of, of uh, it's all part of corporatism in any event. So, And on the same, the same topic with the same Men's Health article, the American Diabetes Association said that they promote the the blood glucose modulating drugs because it's easier to fit into the the American lifestyle. Yeah. And that people just don't have the discipline or the the self-control to to control their diabetes by diet. So don't even bother promoting it. They do a little bit. They they give it a little bit of a footnote. They mention, yeah. you know, you got to you got to do this and you got to do that, but here's your here's your drugs. Uh, my opinion is that they should focus primarily on diet and exercise and the and then nutritional products natural mm-hmm. natural health products nutraceuticals uh followed by if all else fails then then the drugs yeah the drugs should be the last resort rather than right off the bat mm-hmm. and i mean there are certain uh, there are certain nutrients like uh, chromium which helps to regulate blood sugar but also when we look at the complications of diabetes such as impaired circulation, neuropathy, retinopathy, blindness, heart and cardiovascular disease, gangrene as a result of the loss of circulation to the extremities. All of these things is resulting from diabetes. And there are certain things the diabetic can do to help mitigate these conditions to a degree. Certainly, antioxidant nutrients play a very important role because they lessen the, the need for the cells for oxygen because of the way they work. Uh, vitamin E. This is something the Shute brothers experimented with and used in their clinic in uh, London, Ontario, way back when, uh, way, you know, 60 years ago. Unbelievable. And their work is still m- pretty well ignored. Diabetics can benefit from niacin and the B vitamins, vitamin C, selenium, and, and I already mentioned uh, glucose tolerance factor chromium. That's a product that you can pick up in, in, a, in a well-stocked health food store uh, or a health food store that's run by an knowledgeable, knowledgeable people. How about cinnamon? Cinnamon is another example. Now, you're looking at a natural spice. And there's one other. Is it turmeric? Certainly cinnamon. But you've got to watch out because it all depends where it's coming from because the common cinnamon that we see in supermarket spice racks, it's not exactly the same and it doesn't work the same. And uh, so you want to get real uh, cinnamon. And for that, you've got to go to a specialty store or certainly, again, a well-run, well-stocked health food store that, that the people know what they're doing. And would you recommend also seeing a naturopathic doctor or homeopathic doctor in regards to picking supplements? Well... Or- uh, that's all very well, but I'm not very happy with physicians that are selling product. And because obviously, besides charging you a fee for their services, they're also making a profit of, from what they're selling. And I'm not too happy. I feel that's a conflict of interest. 
And so I would search around. It's, it's enough that with a naturopath, because you are only allowed about 10 visits a year, you might have a slight user's fee for that. But after that, you're going to pay big time to the naturopath. And uh, unless you can afford it, then I think uh, your best bet is to start investing in some books about mm-hmm. diabetes, and such as uh, the folks that are advocating the uh, the raw food diet. It's a good start right there and some of the books uh, that they have put out because these people have done their research and and not only that, in a, in a whole food, a raw food diet, there are many vegetables out there that people are ignoring that are so valuable. You know, the leafy greens, a vegetable like asparagus in the spring. It's marvelous. You eat a, have a feed of asparagus and you go and go to urinate, and you know right away that that has really been working on your liver and your kidney because you can smell that very distinct odor from your urine. And I think that asparagus is rich in, uh, in factors that are essential for liver function, and the liver is your main organ of detoxification in the body. Uh, and the liver will sacrifice itself to save you. So... You want your liver to save you, you better take care of your liver. And that means you've got to eat whole foods and take the supplements that support the liver, like N-acetylcysteine and vitamin C, because as humans, as members of the, uh, the ape family, we don't make our own vitamin C. We depend on vitamin C from our diet. And if we're, we, if we're eating nothing but a cooked diet, the amount of vitamin C is going to be very, very limited. And so a lot of people are suffering from subclinical scurvy. That means uh, they are at a level where they're getting so little vitamin C, they're showing symptoms of vitamin C deficiency, hence subclinical. How about elderly folks? You see them with uh, purple splotches under the surface of their skin on the back, on their wrist, or, or where they've been grabbed on the elbow, or, uh, you know, or if they've been lifted into, uh, into bed or something like that, and on the, on the legs you can see these purple splotches. They are not getting enough vitamin C in their diet, and, or if they're being given a supplement, it's not worth the powder to blow it to know, you know where because it's not enough for them. I've told the story in the past about the woman, and it bears repeating, who uh, ended up in hospital in the Los Angeles area bleeding internally. And they would drain a, a liter of blood. And at one time that she went in, as much as a gallon of blood from, from her peritoneal cavity. And through this process of over about a year and a half, she kept going in every so often because she was full of bloated with blood. They opened her up and they drain her and then they'd look around and they checked the liver and they, they saw some watery cysts. They removed those. They were looking for a hidden cancer, but they couldn't find one. And in the process that they had her opened up, they took out her spleen because that's something that can a damaged spleen can bleed and, and it means you've got to take it out. I have a very good friend who uh, had a fall. He was doing some work at home. And, uh, and now he had this awful pressure, uh, you know, where the spleen is in the abdomen. And he went to the doctor. They had to take out his spleen. It was bleeding uh, from, the, from the injury. So, but, uh, so they took out her spleen. They, they decided they took out her appendix. They, uh, they took out her ovaries. And I think they even gave her a hysterectomy. And, I mean, after the, the 18th month that she'd been to these people, she's back in the hospital. Clearly the woman is dying. And a doctor asks her in the hospital, what do you eat? And it turns out the diet that she was on in what you'd have to call the salad belt of the South 
West United States, you know, the Los Angeles area where they, I mean, right now we're getting fruit and vegetables from there, you know, and even late into the uh, winter months. And she was getting virtually no vitamin C from her diet. But to get these symptoms reversed and stopped, she had to take nothing less than 1,000 milligrams, that is one gram of vitamin C every day to keep the symptoms of that internal bleeding from returning. Then you have some hoity-toity dietitian on a high horse saying, oh, you don't need any more than 25 milligrams, or depending on what side of the border she's on, 75 milligrams of vitamin C a day to prevent scurvy. Well, that is absolute bourgeois. That's all it is. Well, what, what are the optimum levels of vitamin C? Because that's a good point. Who that knows you what the optimum levels of vitamin C? Because you have scientists like physician and dentist, Dr. Emmanuel Cheraskin, who headed up the Department of Oral Medicine at the University of Alabama from about 1949, 48, 49, until his retirement in the late 70s. And the, the bottom line is is that they did experiments to find out just how much vitamin C do you need. And they, uh, they used the medical and dental students as, as uh, subjects uh, to this, this, this very simple trial. And they'd make a wound uh, in the uh, upper jaw above one of the uh, teeth, eye tooth, I guess, about a nine millimeter uh, wound, and they'd color it with a special dye. And every... Uh, and this they, they did it to the whole class, but half of them were getting vitamin C unknown to them, and half of them were getting a placebo, which they didn't know was a placebo. And uh, they could see right away who was healing faster and why they were on the vitamin C. And that was only with 250 milligrams a day. So they went up to a higher dose, 500 milligrams, and they were healing faster. And they went up to a gram a day, and they were healing, healing faster still. There seemed to be no limit to the amount of vitamin C uh, that uh, they could take, and the healing was faster. With good levels of vitamin C, you heal very, very quickly. What do you think of the recommended daily allowance for vitamins, minerals, fatty acids? Well, unfortunately, they are based on standards that were set sometime, I think, just after the Second World War. And to my knowledge, they really haven't changed. I mean, they're talking about 1.2 milligrams of, of thiamine, you know, and, and, and not much uh, difference in the amount of riboflavin, vitamin B2, thiamine being vitamin B1. And then, of course, B3, which is niacin. I mean, the work that Abram Hoffer did in Saskatchewan while he was medical director of uh, the metal hospitals, he was clearing out schizophrenics like you wouldn't believe on 3,000 milligrams or more of, of niacin a day. And uh, these people left the hospital to lead a happy, normal life. And it's still not rec- this work is still not recognized today. It is ignored. It is poo-pooed because they would rather have them on these antipsychotic drugs that do all kinds of horrible things, such as people picking up uh, an automatic uh, rifle or a pistol and spraying a whole classroom of people, such as what happened in Montreal a few years ago. has happened in other places in the United States as well as in Canada. And these people, their problem is, is that they have severe... And nutritional deficiencies that could be corrected, but they're on drugs, antipsychotic drugs that make them psychotic even worse. I always find it funny when I see those commercials for the antidepressant drugs mm-hmm. on uh, on American TV. Yeah, 
when the list of the side effects comes up and it says may cause suicidal thoughts, <laughs> well, uh, exactly. Well, that's the one thing you want to avoid when you're depressed. I, I, uh, when you're depressed, uh, the the medicine makes you more suicidal. Yeah. So that's the last thing they need. I have to laugh at the commercial for uh, for a sleeping aid. I gather it's a prescription drug, and it was called Lunesta. And you you saw the person uh, lying in bed, and you saw this kind of luminescent green butterfly or fairy. Uh, flitting around the room, you know, as if this is all part of your ability to sleep thanks to this drug Lunesta. Uh, but uh, the Saturday Night Live people got a hold of it, and they had the guy wide awake and try to fight off this floating ferry, and he ends up by jumping out the window. <laughs> I'm looking at the book Prescription for Nutritional Healing, and they're talking about recommended daily allowances versus optimal daily intakes. And they say that recommended daily allowance is the amount of vitamins and nutrients that you need in order to prevent uh, deficiency disease. Uh, yeah, and that's a generalization. They're, they're, they're looking at the whole population, but there are people who are born uh, with uh, higher requirements for reasons of genetics, perhaps, higher requirements for certain nutrients than, uh, than they would normally need. And this can happen in the same family. Mm-hmm. That's why some people are perfectly normal, and yet other other children go off the uh, off the track, so to speak. Because they have a higher than normal requirement for some reason or another. Uh, maybe at the times the parents uh, were conceiving a child, uh, something happened that uh, they weren't getting something in the diet, and they created a problem, if you will, or a need for a higher yeah. requirement for nutrient, certain nutrient. Who knows? But uh, again, they're dealing with averages, and we, above all, are not averages. No. Uh, and everybody has their own uh, level of requirements, that a lot to do with the environment they're in, the kind of work they do, uh, the sort of pollutants that they're exposed to, all of these things, and of course, nutritional deficiencies. Now, we know this, that uh, when we look at the Allied soldiers, Canadian soldiers, for instance, Sir they survived the Japanese the prisoner of war camps during World War II and after. I mean, they came out of there with acquired requirements for, for, uh, for B vitamins uh, because where they were perfectly okay before they went into those, those uh, uh, prisoner of war camps when they came out because of uh, the, the mass starvation that they were going through. They, they acquired uh, a need for greater amounts of certain nutrients like the B vitamins, especially niacin and vitamin B6, than, uh, than a person normally would. And this is one of the factors that Abe Hoffer in his work in Saskatchewan was able to discover uh, and, uh, and realize and, and help a lot of uh, World War II uh, veterans from the prisoner of war camps to uh, regain their health and mental equi- equilibrium. Yeah, I think there's lots of examples of of people who who have used vitamins to correct all sorts of illnesses. Yeah. Uh, but what about your average person who just wants to supplement? If, should they be looking at the RDAs or should they be looking at the, like, where do you recommend that they get the, uh, the right uh, information for what they should take? Well, what I would do is I would look to scientists like Emmanuel Cheraskin and his books, uh, like Vitamin C, Who Needs It? The work of... Well, Linus Pauling is a good example. He worked with Abe Hoffer. They set a protocol of a, of a good dietary regimen for, for optimum health. Then you have certain other physicians who are big advocates of vitamins. And I say this, if they're an advocate of nutritional support, 
then uh, the chances are they'll be far more reliable than somebody says, well, you don't need to take any vitamins if you have a balanced diet, you know, and whatever that means. I mean, if we go into uh, the Arctic wilds in the dead of winter, uh, what are the Eskimos thriving on? It certainly isn't on raw vegetables. It is on raw seal meat and uh, seal liver, and not to mention the blubber of... uh, of uh, of whale and uh, and also raw fish, and they're certainly surviving in the harshest of climates. But we wouldn't survive too well on that diet. We probably couldn't stomach it. So it's tailored to the individual needs, is what you're to their and to to their environment uh, the, to cope in the environment that they're in. So uh, in this in this kind of environment, we are in a city of uh, of pollution, of traffic noise and. Sirens going and uh, and fires and uh, murders and uh, gunshots going on down the street as it's happening more and more in, in this city. Uh, the, the, all of this is very stressful, and that increases your need for nutrients that help you cope with stress. And that's the B vitamins and vitamin C. Interesting. We've gone over the nutritional requirements for diabetes specifically. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the complications of diabetes and the progression of of the disease. Well, a diabetic that's suffering from neuropathy, which is the loss of feeling and nerve feeling and and circulation in the extremities, particularly in the the legs and feet, uh, they should see a doctor who does chelation therapy. Ethylene diamine tetracetic acid helps to open up clogged arteries uh, and uh, put more circulation uh, into the extremities and uh, and uh, diabetes, pardon me, not diabetes, but in this case so we're talking about uh, gangrene, uh, has been halted and reversed. It's been done just with vitamin E in very high doses, so maybe uh, a couple of thousand international units of uh, vitamin E a day. That's what the Shute brothers, uh, Wilfred and Evan Shute, were able to do in their clinic in uh, in London, Ontario, and that's way back in the late 40s and early 50s. And they were associated with the company Weber's Pharmaceuticals who supplied them with the natural uh, form of vitamin E because they soon found out that the synthetic form of vitamin E, which turns out molecularly in structure, it is a mirror image of the synthetic. The body doesn't recognize it. And so it has very little antioxidant value. And you'll find uh, if you study uh, the uh, molecular structure of natural versus synthetic vitamin E and the studies there that have been done, that the body does take up and utilize uh, the natural vitamin E very quickly. And, uh, and, uh, but the synthetic will be absorbed and be in the bloodstream, but it's not being utilized by the cells. Interesting. So chelation therapy stimulates the, the circulation. small blood vessels it to... Opens up. Yeah, and, and of course niacin, simple flushing niacin. You know, uh, people can take uh, one gram of that three times a day and do an awful lot for the circulation and you'll know that you're doing something because it causes the this um, release of histamine which opens up all the, the small blood vessels and capillaries and of course it's close to this these are close to the skin and you start flushing you glow and uh, and uh, eventually uh, you will tolerate it and the fact that you do flush is probably a good indication that you need to be taking that much of, of niacin every day, if not more. But if you take it, uh, it, it opens up the circulation. Not only that, Dr. Abram Hoffish, his, his mother was going, you know, she was going 
mental. She was, uh, she was losing her memory. She was going uh, Alzheimer's. And he, he uh, gave her some niacin. It was by accident. And her brain perked up. And so he kept on giving it to her. This lady went on to uh, live for another 20 years in a very productive life. And she wrote some books. What Abe Hoffer's mother, a wife. What about her mother? Uh, his wife. Pardon me. It was his wife. His wife? Yeah. What about niacinamide? It doesn't flush, does it? Does no. it give you the same uh, results? It doesn't do the same as niacin, but it does have its own value for, for, as brain, for brain function and other functions of, in, in, the, uh, in the body. Mary Backer from the Healing Journal, mm-hmm. she told me some stories about ozone therapy, mm-hmm. you know, bagging the legs and pumping in ozone in the surrounding areas around the, the You're talking about a legos. bag. Yes. Yeah. Well, better still, why not a hyperbaric oxygen chamber such as what the Navy SEALs uh, and the U.S. Navy SEALs were using and I guess the British frogmen. The thing is, is that then you can get, you know, a couple of atmospheres of atmospheric pressure for the whole body. And, of course, you supersaturate your blood and your cells with oxygen. Definitely a, a very therapeutic use. Well, this actually... Hyperbaric oxygen therapy is actually what got me. I've always been interested in natural health, mm-hmm. but it, this is what got me really interested in in this industry a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I was having a beer downstairs in the pub in the building that I used to live in, mm-hmm. and I met Frank Trembley, who is a hyperbaric oxygen technician for the past thirty five forty years, and he was telling me all about hyperbaric oxygen and what it can do for various conditions. But he really was excited about how it can prevent amputations for di- for diabetic yeah. leg wound patients people who have who are just about to go in for for surgery and to to have their their toes or their their legs amputated mm-hmm. and he explained it in a way he 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 said well what happens is is that the explain the progression of diabetes and and the loss of circulation and the the numbness and then the people stub their toe and they don't realize that they've caused damage and it goes gangrene and then they amputate at the uh a yeah. few inches up from the from the wound, and then problem is that there still isn't enough circulation in the tissues. Yeah, so the next thing is going to be the foot itself. Yeah, and then uh, they end up uh, doing a series of you know two or three amputations. Uh, amputations, and, and they, by this time they're above the knee, right? Where above the knee, where there's a, a viable blood flow to yeah. heal the wound, and yeah. and then uh, okay. So I said, if this is true, why isn't it being used? And his answer to me was that nobody knows about it and there's too much money in the diabetic drug industry. Yeah, and of course, uh, there were some scientists uh, in the United, rather in the Canadian um, military forces that uh, did a great study. And I have the video on ozone therapy. And ozone therapy will do the same thing as hyperbaric oxygen therapy when it comes to dealing with diabetic neuropathy as well as other conditions that are affected by poor circulation. And, and then, unfortunately, I'd like to, uh, my, my VCR, i got to take it out and get it overhauled uh, because I won't buy any one of these cheap ones. They're a waste of, uh, they're so flimsy, they don't last. I've got one that's really heavy, and it just needs to be opened up and lubricated, new belts put in, and it would be fine. So I shouldn't be laying that on you. You need a DVD player, Croft. It's, uh, yeah, well, that's what I had to do is have, find a good, get, get a good uh, machine to play the tape and burn it onto a DVD. Ah, uh, right. Okay, yeah, good. That's what I want to do. And well, then I can make more uh, duplications that people would be able to, to, to access and play on their DVD and get the thing. 
Mm-hmm. I think I'm missing the boat here. Ozone therapy, yeah. <laughs> well, what happened was after, um, after I talked with Frank, I went up to my apartment and started doing some research because I just, you know, it seemed too... You were blown away. It seemed too unrealistic to me. I was like, there's no yeah. way. And I came across an article uh, in the Globe and Mail 2005 by Christy Blanch- Blanchford. Yeah. And basically, the headline of the article said, Diabetics are losing their legs unnecessarily. She's right. And she went through some examples uh, of the the city of Toronto. 2,200 people lose their legs due to diabetic neuropathy, Mm -hmm. uh, diabetic leg ulcers Mm -hmm. that are incurable. Mm -hmm. And 70% of the patients who, they didn't hear it from their doctor, they Googled their own condition, found out about hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and demanded to have the therapy and they got it and 70% of them at the last minute this is like right before their surgery uh, no longer needed to be amputated exactly and you know if it was standard protocol and they were put in at the beginning of of the diabetic leg ulcer before it progressed to the point where they're Mm -hmm. about to get an amputation it'd probably be 95% effective in the social circle that I was involved with uh, many years ago and I just got interested in chelation therapy at that time thanks to one of my customers who was saved from a heart transplant for that very reason Mm -hmm. going for chelation therapy in this instance and so anyway, uh, I was talking about it, and this woman, she was facing uh, amputation. And this is a woman who once was a registered nurse, and she loved to dance, but no more. And she, her husband said, oh, you might as well get your legs chopped off and get it over with. <laughs> it was about as sympathetic as a cold stone. But she did go for chelation therapy, and she got herself another 10 years of active living, you know. Thanks to chelation therapy. She didn't have to have her legs up. My friend, the late Ted Dixon, saved himself from a heart bypass surgery. He didn't want to go through the operation. And when he found about chelation therapy, he went for it. And in fact, he founded the now defunct Chelation Association of British Columbia. And the only reason why it's defunct is because we now have doctors doing chelation therapy and uh, and they're certainly uh, at this juncture not under any active threat from the College of Physicians and Surgeons, their licensing board, uh, to shut them down for doing chelation therapy because the college, at least uh, up until recently, has been run by a bunch of Neanderthals. And they'd rather chop your leg off or uh, open up and take out a heart and put another one in and all this sort of very, very expensive medical therapies for something that's so very cheap and very reasonable. I mean, what does it cost for a heart transplant? Complications? Maybe a hundred grand, at least maybe 35 or 50 grand it costs, uh, whereas uh, a series of uh, chelation treatments uh, and maintenance, probably maybe about $3,000 overall, and, and, uh, and that's it. Well, hyperbaric oxygen therapy isn't cheap either. No. It's uh, fairly expensive, but compare it to the alternative. If you're suffering from diabetic leg wounds. Yeah. And well, you're going to. me it was $100 a session, wasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, approximately $100 and a session. You, then they were, they were in a tank yeah. that could hold up to about 11 people or more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's two different types of hyperbaric chambers. And, well, there's more than two, but there's yeah. two primary types. There's a monoplace chamber, which holds one person, mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's saturated with oxygen. So mm-hmm. the environment that you're in is 100% oxygen. And there's a multi-place chamber where you're in air, 
and you breathe the oxygen through an oral nasal mask or a, or a hoodie. Yeah. And basically, we could do a whole show on hyperbaric oxygen if we wanted. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, what talking about the cost difference, okay? So it's going to take 20 to 30 sessions at about $100 each. So you're looking at a few thousand dollars, yeah. right? To save your leg, probably worth it. But let's look at the other side of the coin. You go to your doctor and you get uh, prescribed these drugs that are supposed to increase circulation to your to your extremities and and uh, support the tissues and 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 whatnot. Well, apparently those drugs cost a run of those drugs cost the medical system about fifteen to twenty thousand uh, dollars. Well, just in Toronto alone, twenty two hundred a year times fifteen to twenty thousand. That's a lot of money going into the pharmaceutical industry's pockets. Then there's the surgeries, okay? The drugs only work 5 to 10% of the time, apparently. I don't know how much a surgery costs. Any idea, Croft? For, um... In the Canadian healthcare system... Yeah, if we're talking uh, for an amputation? It's got to be in the... In oh, it's the, big, about, about a couple of thousand dollars, I'm sure. Yeah, it's got to be uh, in the thousands would, yeah. and thousands of dollars uh, for multiple surgeries. But then a heart transplant, like we said, is probably around fifty to 100,000, depending on complications. Yeah. And, uh, or bypass surgery, uh, that's got to be about but for, 35 but, grand or better. But, but for diabetes, the, the yeah. cost of a, of a diabetic uh, leg wound, if it, if it goes as far as amputation, is... Tens of thousands of dollars in drugs. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of dollars in surgeries. Well, they're on a frequent flyer thousands program, of, obviously. Thousands of dollars in, uh, in pro- in the, for the prosthetic leg, for the rehabilitation. Yeah. Uh, if the person is still of working age and can no longer work, then there's a disability pension. Yeah. What about the social cost? If you can't run out with your grandkids and play, you know, yeah. play baseball or whatever it is, the costs are enormous. And all we need to do is revert some of that money over to hyperbaric oxygen therapy and for three or four thousand dollars. Yeah. Or what about vitamin therapy, In ozone therapy? With that, it can be done. The list goes on. And so this is what actually got me into this whole thing. And it was like the rabbit hole, right? Yeah. How deep does the rabbit hole go? Yeah. go? No, this can't be happening. This can't be true. Oh. Okay. Well, here's a here's some research, and here's a here are some living uh, examples. And oh, and what about this? What about this? And then you learn about the you know, it's designed to fail, and because failure means profit for those who profit from failure. The uh, police of the pharmaceutical industry is actually the regulatory body that is supposed to be protecting the citizens. So. Anyways, yeah, a little bit off yeah. topic, but uh, no, but it's all part and part and parcel of of the whole paradigm that we we are living under. It is dysfunctional. It needs to be scrapped and started all over again. But uh, I'm afraid that we are far too conservative to uh, to accept that, and we have to just work with what uh, what we know and with what we have. So we talked about the complications of diabetes and and some of the alternative methods for dealing with the severe complications but there's a group of people that are that started this movement called the the movement to reverse diabetes naturally and it's the same people that are behind this dvd uh, called simply raw reversing diabetes in 30 days and they've basically it's it's the same producer that made the movie supersize me Mm -hmm. where he wanted to see the effect of somebody who ate mcdonald's three times a day for 30 days yeah. and to see what happened. And, of course, anyone who's seen the movie knows that it, it, he, put on he terrific had weight. serious health issues as a result. 
It also involves Woody Harrelson, actor from Cheers and also other movies. He's a raw food activist. Tony Robbins, peak performance coach, also raw food activist. Reverend Michael Beckwith, David Wolf, uh, raw food advocate. Uh, he was involved in the Food Matters DVD and a number of other people. Yeah. It'd be interesting to to follow up on that and see how uh, see how it goes. Well, let's face it. We are what we eat, and it makes sense to be looking into the diet and, uh, and perhaps uh, certainly moving into a diet that is as natural as possible, and that means basically a whole food diet. Mm-hmm. I mean, ancient man were people who were nomadic. They were hunters and gatherers. But if you go into the jungles of... South Africa, and you find tribes of people there, some we've never seen before, and and they just live off of what nature provides. And then you have the likes of the United States government defoliating because they're afraid that some people might get a hold of some coca leaf. And that's another whole story in itself. All right. I think we're pretty much at the end of the show here. We've been going for quite a while, so we'll wrap it up at that. What do you want to do for future episodes, Croft? I know you were talking a little bit early just to get Well, I certainly like to talk about licit and illicit drugs and, uh, and why the uh, drug policy of mainly of the United States government is, is, uh, is failing and, and, uh, and uh, probably was meant to fail to begin with. That's a whole issue in itself and I'd like to uh, delve into it. We're going to do one on patented medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming soon, the effects of patents on medicine and and whether the patent system is is broken and needs to be fixed. Yeah, and Quack Watch. Oh yes, Quack Busters, and uh, we're going to look into some of their dirty doings. You know, it's one thing to uh, be concerned about honesty in the marketplace, but when it's so one sided and you just pick on one segment, when so much is being uh, gotten away with by the uh, the paradigm that supports the quackbusters then then we're in for a good laugh all right so thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week <laughs>